All right, so we have been uh, we have been working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and today we're going to see Jesus get into some hot water uh, with some very important people. Actually, what we're going to see Jesus do is wade right into the hot water. He does not avoid the conflict. He doesn't end up here on accident. He actually confronts these religious leaders head on. Uh, and we're going to read about three controversies uh, and how these, con- these controversies, they center around these religious rituals of fasting and Sabbath observance that were, were very important uh, to the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And actually, we're going to see that they're important to Jesus as well, but not for the same reasons. Uh, and so, as Jesus engages, um, he's going to challenge the way that people approach God. Um, so let's, uh, let's read, let's give our attention to God's word. We're going to pick up in Luke chapter 5, verse 33. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed." But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. Chapter 6, verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which isn't lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding it. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now, God, that you would bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word, Lord, so that we would be transformed 
Help us to leave here different people because of your work in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we see here, here happening in these, uh, in these episodes, as Jesus challenges these religious leaders, what Jesus, I think, is telling these people is that you no longer have to prove yourself through religious observance. Uh, in fact, that was never the case. That, that Jesus frees us from having to prove ourselves. What do, what do I mean by that? Um, I think you and I innately know that there is something deep within us. You and I innately know that we don't measure up. Uh, whatever you look like, however much you weigh, regardless of how much money you bring in or how well behaved your children are or how beautiful your children are, I submit that each one of us knows, wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, that each one of us knows that we are not enough. And we try to prove ourselves, right? We, we engage in any number of strategies like the ones that I just mentioned to justify ourselves, to prove ourselves in front of other people, right? So I've got to eat the right things. I've got to look the right way. I've got to have the right job. My kids have to respond a certain way, right? We use all of these different strategies to try to prove ourselves before God and before other people, and that's exactly what Jesus catches the Pharisees doing. They are using religion to prove themselves before God and before others. And so I think there are two things uh, that Jesus is telling us to do in each of these three episodes. First, stop using your religion. Second, rest your identity in Jesus alone. Stop using your religion and rest your identity in Jesus alone. What, what do I mean? Well, first, let's, uh, let's meet the Pharisees. Let's talk about who these, who these fine people are, okay? Uh, this was a, a strict religious order in Jesus' day. They were Jewish. It was a strict religious order dedicated to preserving and obeying God's law. That sounds like a good thing, Right? They wanted to make sure that people knew how to obey God. I mean, that's, that's not bad, right? We're kind of pro doing what God says. We like that. Um, and so, in short, what they wanted to do is they, they wanted to help people. Obey, they, they wanted to obey God, and they wanted to help others do the same. Now, here's how they did this. Uh, so, God's law revealed in the, in the Old Testament... They would come alongside God's law and they would invent a whole series of practical rules to help you keep God's law. Right? So, uh, here's the law and here are all the things we're going to do to help you keep God's law. Okay? And over time, their traditions, their oral traditions were basically codified as law. So, what they would do is they would say, if you really want to be holy... If you really want to love God, you got all these things you got to do, right? This is what it means to love God. So let's take the uh, let's take the Sabbath for example. All right, that's the that's actually the area where Jesus 
finds the most conflict with them. So let's let's talk about the Sabbath. Uh, here's what the original command, this was the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Here's how, here's how that command reads, Exodus 20 verse 8. God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. So basically, there's one day in seven that you are not to work. Right? This was to be a day of rest and worship. Okay? Now, this is, this is not a sermon on keeping the Sabbath. We did that back when we went through Exodus, so I'm not going to go through all of that. But basically, the, the word Sabbath means to stop. It means to cease or to rest. And here's what God is doing with this command. Because His people had been slaves in Israel. And they had been slaves under harsh masters who made them work all the time. God provides them with a rhythm of work and rest. Work and rest. And you'll notice that even most of the days in a week are given to work. Six days of work, one day of rest. One day to stop and reflect and worship. That's how the Sabbath came to be used. It was a day to rest from your work and to worship God. Alright? So, their experience had been no rhythm, no rest. Right? It was go, go, go all the time. Does that sound familiar? Right? God gives a command designed to provide rhythm and provide rest. So, the command is actually meant to lighten a burden. It's meant to lighten a burden. It's meant to give life, not take it away. And this actually becomes a, a key part of Jewish identity. But in order to help to keep people from breaking the Sabbath, right? So the Pharisees, the rabbis, they come along and they see, man, people are breaking the Sabbath left and right. We got to figure out how to keep people from doing that. So here, here are 39 things you cannot do on the Sabbath. They came up with their own list of 39 things you could not do on the Sabbath. And each one of those 39 categories actually had subpoints to it. You can see this gets complicated quickly. The very first one was that you could not carry anything outside of your house on the Sabbath day. Nothing. Of any weight. Couldn't carry your keys. Couldn't carry your purse. Couldn't carry your wallet. That would be breaking the Sabbath. You would be doing work. Right? So you can see how burdensome this command begins to get. This command that's meant to be a benefit becomes a burden under the Pharisees. Uh, even today, if you go to places where you, you find heavy concentrations of Orthodox Jews, uh, you will find things like Sabbath elevators. That's right. It's against the law. It's against, it's, it's unlawful to operate machinery on the Sabbath. That's work. That would include pushing the button of an elevator. But you can't exactly tire yourself out on the Sabbath by walking up and down stairs. So what do you do? You have a Sabbath elevator. And the Sabbath elevator doesn't have any buttons. It just stops on every floor. So all you have to do is walk into it, write it down, and get off. Right? 
This is, this is what happens when man takes God's law and tries to make it more specific. We take what is created to be a benefit and we make it a burden. Right? Uh, and so that's why the Pharisees uh, run afoul of Jesus pretty quickly. Uh, you see in this first, uh, rather the second episode where Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through, uh, they're, they're walking, they're going through a field. Uh, and they're plucking some grain to eat because of their hungry, which, by the way, the law permitted them to do. But the Pharisees, and it doesn't really say like where they appear from. It's just that Jesus and his disciples are walking through. They're plucking grain. They're rubbing in their hands to get the kernels out, and they're eating it. And all of a sudden, poof, the Pharisees are there. And they're like, what are you doing? Uh, it's almost like they're watching Jesus to try to make sure he doesn't do anything wrong. And so they ask Jesus, why are your disciples doing what is not lawful? I want you to notice that that phrase, not lawful or not right. It's a key phrase for this passage. The Pharisees are very concerned that Jesus and that everybody do what is right, uh, what is lawful, especially in according to their traditions. And so what's happening is that when, when the disciples are plucking the heads and rubbing them in their hands and eating them, they are breaking Pharisaical law against threshing, harvesting, threshing, and winnowing the wheat, all by plucking off a head, rubbing it in their hands, and popping in their mouths. So uh, the Pharisees confront them. They're looking at Jesus and they're saying, you're not following our traditions. And we see this intensify in the next controversy, the next Sabbath controversy. Jesus is there. They're in the synagogue together. Jesus is teaching and a man comes in with a withered hand. Whether from injury or paralysis, we don't know. All we know is that his hand is unusable. Now, Pharisaical tradition said that if an injury was not life-threatening, it could be healed on another day, but only life-threatening injuries could be healed on the Sabbath. Again, that's not something they get from God's law. That's one they made up on their own. And so Luke tells us that they're watching Jesus closely. The word there has negative connotations, right? They're being sneaky. They're trying to catch him doing something wrong. They're critical fault finders. They are not listening to what he's saying. They're not interested. They're not paying attention to what the good that he's doing. They are too busy making sure that he's doing what is right in their eyes. And so Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, flips it around on them. Look at chapter 6, verse 8. Look at what he says. Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful? Their word. Right? They're the ones who are so concerned that what is right, what is lawful be done. And so Jesus takes their word and flips it on them. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? How's that for a no-win situation? Right? Jesus paints them into a corner. If they say, if, if they agree with Jesus, They expose their own foolishness. They basically say that Jesus is right and they give up. But if they disagree with Jesus, then they're basically saying, then yeah, it's right to do do bad on the Sabbath. 
right? Destroying life is a good thing to do on the Sabbath, right? So they can't do that because then they would be Sabbath breakers themselves, which, hey, maybe they are, right? So Jesus basically paints them into a corner. They're stuck. Now, now what's the point? What is it that the Pharisees are actually doing and, and how do we do the same thing? Well, they've taken God's law and they've added their traditions to it and they have made it their identity, right? They are saying, this is who we are. If you And if you follow this code with us, God will accept you. But in the process of striving to honor God with their law-keeping, they actually miss Him. They are so interested... In, they're, they're not really so much interested in honoring God as much as honoring their traditions, which is simply just another way of honoring themselves. So they end up putting themselves in the place of God. This is their badge of honor, right? This is, this is, this is the core of their identity. They, they, their their law-keeping is who they are. How do we know that? Because what happens when Jesus challenges it? When Jesus, when Jesus challenges their law-keeping, when Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath, what is their response? Luke tells us they are, they are filled with fury. Right? Uh, one, one translation puts it this way, they were filled with mindless rage. They are so mad they cannot even see. Right? They, they don't even acknowledge that a brother in the synagogue has been healed, that his hand has been restored to him. They don't see that. They are so concerned with their law-keeping. They are so concerned to prove themselves through obedience that they are, that they are so mad at Jesus. Mark's gospel tells us that at this point they go out so they can figure out how to kill him. You think that was allowed on the Sabbath? How to murder somebody? Right? That's, that's the irony, isn't it? That's the irony of their position. That they, they don't see anything else that they're willing, that they're willing to plot murder so that Jesus can be stopped. And actually, Mark's gospel points out that the people they start planning with are the Herodians. And if, uh, the, the Herodians were actually the exact opposite of the Pharisees. The Pharisees would, to use our modern analogy, the Pharisees would be the far right. Tradition, tradition, tradition. That is the way that our country will be great again. The Herodians would be on the far left. Progress, progress, progress. Bring in the Greeks, bring in the Romans. Let's make everything new. That's how our country will be made great. Jesus angers both. Right? And, the Phar- and, and it's interesting, the Pharisees team up, the far right teams up with the far left to get rid of Jesus. That's how, that's how much Jesus threatens them, right? So, that's what they're doing. How does that tie into us? Well, I want you to examine your inner Pharisee for a moment. Examine your inner Pharisee. Ask yourself, are, are you more conservative than God? Because that's what the Pharisees uh, were striving to be. They didn't re- maybe they didn't realize that but they actually end up making God's law more strenuous than it already was. They were more conservative, right? Are you using religion to prove yourself to God and to other people? Are you aiming to put on a good face, right? To look put together. 
Is that how you are proving yourself? Or maybe, maybe you're not a religious person at all. Uh, maybe this is the first day you've ever set foot in a church or the first day in a long time. So maybe you're not a religious person, but I would argue that you still do this, right? What is, what is your badge of honor? Uh, what is so core to your identity that if it were threatened, you would lose your mind? Maybe you wouldn't be full of rage, but maybe you would be full of sadness, full of anxiety, full of bitterness or despair. Right? I'm, I would submit that we're a little bit of both. That there are all manner of strategies that we are using to prove yourselves, to prove ourselves like religion, to look good, to make God love us. So how do we... That's called self-justification, by the way. Uh, how do we move out of that? And first we might say, surely, surely the answer to being too religious is to become less religious. Right? Surely, surely the, surely the right answer, the answer to becoming too conservative is to become more liberal. Right? If I'm all the way over here, I just need to swing over to here. Or if I'm all the way over here, maybe I need to swing more over to here. But notice, that's not actually what Jesus does. In fact, if you're doing that, you're really just redrawing the lines in a different place. You're still, you're simply finding a new way to justify yourself, right? It's like saying, oh, I don't have to prove myself to God by being a charismatic, so I'll prove myself to God by being a Presbyterian. You're still trying to prove yourself to God. You're just redrawing the lines in a new place. Notice that's not what Jesus does. That's not what Jesus does at all. In fact, um, and this is moving into our second point, I want you to notice that, that Jesus isn't less religious than his opponents. Jesus isn't less religious. He goes to the synagogue every Sabbath day. He actually teaches in the synagogue most of the time. It's his regular practice. He prays often. He prays intensely. Right, So Jesus uses uh, the same spiritual disciplines that other people do. So the answer is not to do them less or to do them more. The answer is to use them correctly. Jesus doesn't point away from religion so much as he points to himself. Jesus' answer to our problem with self-justification is to simply say, stop doing it all together and rest in me. Notice that when Jesus confronts his opponents, he doesn't give them a different law. He doesn't look at their 39 principles of Sabbath keeping and say, actually, your problem is you need to add 10 more. Or you need to take away 10. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He points to himself. He points to his identity. He says, in essence, you guys are missing the point. Where do we see him do that? Well, on the Sabbath stuff, uh, going back a little bit to where uh, Jesus, conf Jesus is confronted about eating grain on the Sabbath. Notice what he says when the Pharisees come up and say, well, uh, this is chapter 6, verse 2. Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, haven't you read what David did when he was hungry? Uh, he's talking to guys who would have known their Bibles very well. And he says, you guys are all wrapped around the axle on us eating a few kernels of grain. You remember that story about David from the Old Testament? 
And David was hungry and his men were hungry and they stopped by the, the tabernacle and they ate some of the holy bread. This happened, right? And technically that wasn't lawful for David to do. But the priest doesn't stop him. Uh, what, what Jesus seems to be saying there is that, you know what, if somebody's in need, well, that supersedes, uh, that supersedes the law in that regard, right? Uh, Jesus, David does something that wasn't technically lawful, but he's not penalized for it. And then Jesus goes on to say this. He says, the Son of Man, which is his favorite title for himself, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What does he mean by that? He means, I get to say what happens on the Sabbath, not you. I'm the one who's in charge of understanding and applying God's law correctly, not you. So what is Jesus saying about himself when he says that? I'm God. I'm God. But then there's a a second way that Jesus identifies himself, and it's in that very first passage we read about Jesus uh, and fasting. Some unknown group of people come up and they... uh, critique Jesus's, uh, Jesus' disciples' lack of fasting. Um, you guys aren't fasting enough. And if you're not familiar with fasting, basically it was a, a religious ritual. You would abstain from food to show your dedication to God. And so basically, these people critique Jesus and say, you guys don't look holy enough. You're not, you're not doing the holy things that John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples are doing. And Jesus says something really interesting. He says, so... Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with him? What does he mean by that? He's talking about uh, the, the the people that he's referring to would be basically what we would call groomsmen. Uh, and in Jesus' day, it was their responsibility to make sure everything was, uh, was taken care of for the wedding. Uh, and since the groom is with them, it's time to party. Right? This is not, this is not a time for, uh, fasting. It's not a time for mourning. It's a time to celebrate because the groom is with us. And when the groom is taken away, Jesus says that's gonna happen. The bridegroom is taken away, then they can fast. But right now is a time for celebration. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I'm the bridegroom. And Jesus is picking up an image used all over the Bible where God identifies himself as the husband of his people. The husband who comes in and rescues his people. Jesus is saying, that's me. And I'm here. And it's time to celebrate. But then he tells two parables that show that a new day is coming and it doesn't jive with the old. He talks about, a, you can't use, right, if you want to patch an old garment, you don't tear up a new garment to do it. Right, think about, just, just kind of think about that for a second. If you've got an old ratty pair of jeans that you need to patch up, you don't go to the store and buy a really nice new pair of jeans and then cut them into pieces. I mean, you can do that if you want to, it's just not very bright, right? You've now torn up the new jeans and the old jeans don't, still don't look good, right? So in a sense, you've ruined both. And in the same way, he says, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. Why? Because wine, as it ferments, expands. And old wineskins have already been stretched out. They've already been through one fermentation process. So they are stretched out and they are dried and cracked. If you put new wine in there and that wine expands, it's going to burst the skin and you lose all your wine. 
Jesus is saying, I'm bringing something new and the old cannot contain it. He's looking at the Pharisees and saying, don't become trapped in your old system. Because if you do that, you're going to miss me. Right? Don't become so in love with your old wine that you miss the new thing that I am doing. Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the bridegroom. Not only am I the one who can tell you what the Sabbath is all about, but I'm actually the one to whom the Sabbath points. I am the rest that you are looking for. I am, I am the rest from all your weariness. I am the rest from all your self-justification. So stop trying to earn your place with God. Stop trying to prove yourself to other people. It won't work. It's a constant treadmill and you know it. Jesus says, I've come to put a stop to all of that. I am, I am the rest that you are looking for. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire. It's a fantastic story. I would highly recommend the movie to you. Uh, it's the story of two Olympic runners uh, in the 1924 Paris Olympics. Uh, one, Eric Liddell. Uh, and two, Harold Abrahams. Both of them, Eric, uh, Eric hails from Scotland, but they both represent Great Britain in the games. They're both runners. And so they've competed together off and on. Um, but the kind of turning point or the crux of the story is that, uh, they're scheduled to run a race on a Sunday. And Eric is a devout Christian. Lydell is a devout Christian. And so he says, no, I won't run the race. Uh, and, at any rate, he gets a chance to run a little bit later on. But the, the really interesting thing, this movie ends up being about what does it look like to really rest? What does it look like to really be at rest? Especially in two very driven, very athletic people. Uh, there's a point in the movie where Abrams is between races. Uh, he's, he's, just, he's just raced in this one race. He's on the training table getting loosened up, ready for another. And he tells the person who's there with him, he says, I'm on, the, I'm on the starting line and I look up and I look down that track and all I can think is that I have 10 seconds. 10 seconds to justify my entire existence. Can you, can you imagine? I bet you can. If I can do that, then I will justify my entire existence. Compare that to Little, who says when uh, his sister asks him, Why are you running? Why, why are you going to the Olympics? What are you doing? Eric says, Because God made me fast. And when I run, I feel His pleasure. Those are two very different approaches to the same thing. And that's what Jesus is offering us. Jesus is not off, Jesus tells us to run away from this. From justifying our existence in anything else but Him. And to run to this. God made me fast. And when I run, I feel His pleasure. That's, that's where you want to be. Because only when you're here, only when you're here, will you truly be able to love God and serve other people. And until you arrive here, you will always be using God and using other people. Let's pray.